Good morning, family. Or should I say morning, beautiful family. Amen. So good to see you this morning. Well, our title for our series that we're doing and it comes from, it's not just the title of a series, but it's really a sense of what we feel the Lord is saying to us as a community is be ready. Over the last two weeks, I've had several opportunities to meet with church leaders and leaders of other ministry organizations, both uh, here locally in our city from across the nation and even some that have worldwide ministries. And there's such a shared feeling of this idea of God saying His bride, His people has to be ready for what He wants to do. And we just feel the Lord saying to us, be ready for a display of His glory. And to continue to think about that together and, and, and to try and discern what the Lord is saying to us, we, we will be going through John 15, 16, and 17. And last week I, I spoke about ready for fruitfulness from John 15. And this week I'm going to carry on, but I want to speak about ready to remain. Ready to remain. Because it's the simple idea that comes out of that analogy that Jesus told his disciples as he was preparing them for life after his departure and after his crucifixion, that uh, to be fruitful, you have to remain in the vine. Your rootedness determines your fruitfulness. And if you are rooted in Christ, then you will produce fruit. Now, I brought some uh, documents with me today that I want to show you that um, are very special and dear to me. And just two documents that I, I want to just share with you and, and show you. And if the cameras can pick them up, it'll be great. This, this first one is my baptism certificate. I got baptized at Hatfield Baptist Church on the 24th of October, 1982. I was just before I turned 14. So I was 13 years old. Just down there where the tent was, I got baptized on the 24th of October, 1982, as part of this body. And it's such a privilege. When Chris Cronier signed my baptism certificate, he did my baptism. Uh, he was one of our pastors. Natasha's actually getting Greek lessons with him today. He later became my Greek uh, professor, amongst other things, and uh, such a wonderful person to have journeyed with. And the second document I have here is my membership certificate. By then, we were the Hatfield Christian Church, no longer. We, we moved out of the Baptist Union at that stage. And here it says, on the 3rd of July, 1988, so I was 19 years old, I became a member of the Hatfield Christian Church. And I'm very privileged this morning that my membership certificate was signed by no other than Harry Kukumur, who's sitting right over there. So, well, Harry, thank you for accepting me as a member. You know, taking the risk as a 19-year-old at that stage. And these two documents are so important to me. They're just pieces of paper. But they speak about moments in my life where I decided to get rooted a little bit deeper. First of all, you know, when we get baptized, it's that moment in our lives where we say, not only do I want a relationship with Jesus, but I want others to know. I want to become part and, and live as part of the member, as part of the body of Christ, the, the wider body of Christ. I want to confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and make that public. And I did that in this community, as part of this community, and just took a step into being just grafted in a little bit firmer, being rooted a bit deeper. And then when I decided to become a member, you know, that, that's a key point. In a young person's life, particularly that grew up in this community, uh, and basically that I said, I'm, this is not just my mother's church, this is now my church also. I choose to be grafted in to become a part of this body. On this certificate of mine, it says the duties of a church member. 
to pray, to love one another, to study God's Word, to attend services regularly, to be a witness for Christ, to engage in Christian service, and to support the church financially. And by being a member, I agreed to that, that I would be part of this community of faith. How many of you, it would be great to see, how many of you have been here as part of this community of faith since the 80s, like me? If you can stand quickly, that would be just awesome to see. Just, if you don't mind, just stand. Come on, can we give these people a really good round of applause and appreciate them? You're welcome to take your seats. You're welcome to take your seats. You know, because a, a community like this works because there's people that remain. Amen? There's people that say, I'm going to get grafted in. Not only am I going to be rooted in Christ, but the Scripture is clear. To be rooted in Christ is to be rooted in His body also. And that means that we become part of a local community of faith, that we join a local church, and that we get rooted in. I know nowadays it's, it's not such a fashionable thing to be loyal too long, to be so committed, to to journey so long. It's like it's become a thing in life that we, that we move around. But I think when it comes to our faith and the fruit that our lives produces, there's nothing that can replace rootedness. There's nothing that can replace being solidly placed in a place. I, 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 over the years of ministry, of pastoral ministry, I, you know, you sit with people often. And sometimes I, I get concerned when, when people come and it's like they, they suffer from spiritual FOMO. Do you know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. Because they join the church. Let's say here they join a church. And they, and they get excited. It's wow, it's an amazing church. It's so beautiful. It's got such great, nice grounds. Oh, the people so wonderful. Oh, the pastor is amazing. You know, they join the church. And it's all exciting. And they, and they like put their roots down. And then about a year later, they realize the pastor is not so amazing. Is it him again? Really, can't we have somebody else? You know, they they like, ah, oh, you know, we've sang that song now 20 times. Hey? And, they, and suddenly, and, and then they start hearing, but there's this another church down the road. And stuff's happening over there. You must hear that guy preach. And then they go, draw the roots out of the ground, and off they go. And then they go find and go to the other church and and they put the roots down. It's like, oh. And then you meet them, and they'll tell you how bad the church was that they used to be at, and how amazing this new church is that they're at now. Oh, the, the word is so powerful, and the, oh, the new songs, and, the, and, they, and, they, oh, and they, it's so amazing. And then you meet them a year later, <laughs> and they found another church. No, that church, oh, you know, it's great for a season, but oh, have you ever met anybody like that? Consistently running, are you anybody like that here this morning? <laughs> you used to be in another church. I mean, and we do that. People do that all the time. You know, they, they're so afraid. Oh, God's doing something and, and I mustn't miss out. And I appreciate that. But can I tell you just from my personal testimony, and this is my personal testimony. I'm not saying this has to be everybody's story. But my journey with the Lord I don't know if I would have had the journey with the Lord if I haven't been rooted so deeply in this community. And it's not this community. I think any community. It takes time. 
Fruit gets produced because you stay rooted over a period of time. One of the aspects is that I think so often people neglect when they make their decisions and they say, you know, they come and they see the they pastor. If you're lucky, they come and see you and they'll tell you, my season's over. God has said I must move. And then sometimes that may be the Lord. But I can be honest with you as a pastor. A lot of the time you think, I don't know if that's the Lord. I, I sometimes have this picture. Imagine you, you're driving past an a, a orchard and there's fruit trees. And they're all running around. There's water here. No, this is the best. No, 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 no. And then the fruit tree is running. And then, no, there's water over here. Come on, let's put your, no, 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 the water's here now. Have you ever seen fruit trees do that? Hey? How many of you know that they won't be producing fruit if they've got FOMO all the time? It's like, oh, where's the, where's the water? Where's the nutrients? They stand still in one place. Now, I know there's times when the farmer will come and say, look, this piece of ground is not producing anymore. We're not going to plant here. He may even move some of the trees if he can. But it's not the trees moving, it's the farmer moving the trees. There are times when God will speak. But normally that has a good process. I so appreciate when people come, and I've had it over the years many times, where somebody will come and say, you know, God is stirring something in my heart. I believe the Lord is saying to us that we may need to move. We need to uproot. But pray with us. Help us hear the Lord. And we pray. And normally through a process like that, the Lord's voice becomes clear. And sometimes it's the person realizes, no, God's not actually saying uproot. He's just saying some other things. Sometimes the Lord is saying, you need to leave. And then it's our privilege as a church, and I've done it many times, to send people. To go. To release them. To go and serve the Lord where He's saying. But then it's a different thing than just people going, oh, I don't want to sing that song again. <laughs> Oh, I pull my roots, and I put my roots down somewhere else. I just think we lose if we don't have a long-term view of our rootedness. It's when our roots remain deep that we stand. Over the last period of time with the storms that we've had in my street, where we live, where I had one night I was in the week of prayer and fasting, as I was driving here to come to the week of prayer, in our street two trees fell over. As the wind blew them, their roots were not strong enough. They couldn't stand. And I think sometimes we run the risk if we're not wise in our remaining. Every place that you get planted into will go through its times and its periods where it has more fruit than other times. And it's in those times where it's very necessary to discern, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? How do I remain? In John 15, Jesus, as he's now sharing with his disciples, and he's talking to them about preparing them as they're going from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to ultimately end up you know, being crucified from there. He uses this opportunity and he speaks to them like I did last week. If you didn't hear last week's message, I encourage you to go and get it on any of our platforms. But he says this to his disciples. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Just let's pause at, for a moment at that amazing thought. Jesus says, The same love that is present in the Trinity, 
that makes the Trinity work, that makes the three become one and be three in one. That love, he says, that love that is between me and the Father, that perfect love, that love that I spoke about last week where they glorify one another, prefer one another, where there's this amazing agape. He says, that love that I've been loved with, he says, is the love that I have given to you. No different, no lesser love, the same love. The same quality, the same depth, the same strength of love that I have received from the Father, that I have given the Father, I now have given to you. Remain in that love. What a powerful thought. If we can remain in the love of God. Why does he say this to his disciples? Because he, know that he knows they're going to be very challenged over the next couple of days to not remain in the love of Jesus. To not think that they loved because of the persecution, because of all the troubles that's going to break out. It would be easy to think we're not loved. But he says, remain in my love. You see, this relationship, this thing that we call Christianity works because of love. We're not Christians because of a sense of duty. We're not even Christians because we fear. We are Christians because God loves us and we love Him back. Everything we do is a response to the fact that we are loved. Jesus loved His Father. As Gerben said earlier, heaven became bankrupt. Jesus left and he came down to earth and he came and lived among us. Not because he was trying to fulfill a duty. Not because he was trying to live up to an expectation. Or he was trying to win his father's you know, recognition. But simply because he loved his father. And he knew that is what pleased his father. And his father allowed him to do that. And, and, and allowed for that circumstance because he loved his son. It's love. Now Jesus, we know the story, he goes from here, just a little bit later, he goes and he prays in the garden of Gethsemane and he says, Lord, this cup is too bitter for me, it's too hard. If it's your will, let it pass me by, but not my will be done, your will be done. He at that moment feels the, the struggle, the, the, the stress, the pain of his impending death and crucifixion so keenly that he says, Lord, if, Father, if there's any other way that I could act loving towards you than, and not do this, please, Make it possible. Father obviously says, look, you have to go through this. This is the only way. He says, okay. Now just think about that for a moment. How much love he had for the Father that he went and agreed to the crucifixion. You see, if he's going to the cross was motivated by anything other than love, it would have, resent, uh, uh, it would have led to ultimate resentment Anger, bitterness. It's the same for any of us, isn't it? If we do something for somebody, especially when we do something really sacrificial, if that relationship doesn't work out, if, if they don't appreciate it, if they don't respond to it, how often have you been in a discussion where you said, but I can't believe you're acting like this, can't you? Don't you remember what I did for you? Because when we do it, out of anything other than love, all our great actions are, will lead ultimately to some form of resentment. 
The only way Jesus could go through the terrible death on the cross and come out the other side and love his father is because he went into it because he loved his father. It was a love thing. He wasn't trying to gain anything, win approval. He already knew he was the son of his father. His father loved him. He loved his father. He could go through the cross, come out the other side, and love his father. He can continue to love his father. Then he sees these interesting words. He says, So have I loved you, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. Now he starts coming to the point a little bit. He says, I want you to understand that to love isn't this nondescript positive feeling that you have. It is a defined thing. You know, and I've spoken about this before. How in the world now we confuse love with sentiment. And we think love is this innocuous, positive feeling that we have towards one another, where we just don't do anything that hurts or harms anybody or upsets anybody. That we don't, we don't judge, we don't, you know, that's love, man. Just I feel love in my heart towards you. I have nothing but love for you. Jesus says that's not love. He says love is defined. It's defined by God and by His commandments. Listen to the order of His words. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. He's saying that to display the love of God, you act according to His character and His nature. It's not that I must keep His commands so that I prove I love Him. It is that I keep His commands because that's the characteristic of His love that I now have within me. It's the display. It's the natural outflow. If I'm rooted in the love of God, that rootedness will display through me certain actions that will be in line with who God is and what His character is like. And that's how I glorify Him. I keep His commands. And this is very real for Jesus because Jesus is asking the Father, what must I do here? Is your command that I go to the cross? And it's not, and Jesus is saying, and I want to keep your command, not because of a duty, but because I love you. I love you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you see this interesting progression that happens here? He says everything begins with love. It is then expressed in obedience that leads to fulfillment of joy. Your joy is complete because you obeyed the Father. Because you loved Him. So these three things become this very dynamic reality of, a, of, the, of the Christian's life. Love, obedience, and joy. And you can see that in that sort of relationship that they have with one another. Jesus is communicating to us here. If you, if you read through this, he's saying, love leads to obedience, which leads to joy, which leads to greater love. Sometimes it goes the other way around. But it's this dynamically powerful activity in our lives. These three things, love, obedience, and joy. Our joy becomes full because we are 
living lives that please the Father through our obedience that is motivated by the fact that I love Him so much. I just want to honor Him. I just want to bring glory to His name. When that is present in our lives, we show that we are rooted in Him. We are remaining in Him. That's the result of a life that is rooted, abiding, a remaining life, is these three things become this powerful dynamic in our lives. We were discussing this a couple of weeks ago in our, in our service planning, service coordination meeting, and Mike Novisky was preaching at the evening service. He actually mentioned these three things. He said, but how do these three things relate within the context of the Scripture? And we discussed it a bit, and I went back and I thought, man, that's an excellent point, and started reading up on it and trying to understand just, you know, what is the Scripture saying here with these three dynamics? And then one morning I was reading in my personal quiet time, just reading through my, one of my reading plans. And a guy, by, who was written by a guy by the name of Keith Bubelow. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he used an example that I thought, that gives me a good way to understand this. And I'm going to use that example here this morning. You see, when we do this, when we have the love for God that is expressed in obedience, that leads to overflowing joy, we assume a ready position. Do you know that every sport has a ready position? If you want to participate in a sport, when, that, when you're not actually doing it, you have to get into a position to be ready. I remember when I did judo, we would, you would come and stand on the mat, you know, stand there like this, and they would go, some Japanese words that I could never understand. And uh, then they would go, and then you'd bow to one another, and then the, 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 the guy who was the referee would go, are you awake now? He would go, and then we would, and then I'd get in the ready position, the ready position in judo looked something like this, my feet so that I could move on the balls of my toes, my hands ready that I can grip the, the opponent's uh, uh, coat, and so we would engage. When you play tennis, how many of you know, when the person's going to serve at you, you you're not sta sitting there at the back. Okay. Ready when you are. You're not standing there go, talking to the you know, line judge. No, you're standing in the ready position. Normally in tennis, it looks something like this. I don't know why, but we pass the racket around between our hands. as just to keep moving on the balls of your toes, and you're ready. And so in basketball, there's a ready position. I've asked our, basket, our resident basketball fundi to come and show us the basketball ready position. Say hello to David LaRose. Hello, Dave. Great to have Dave with me. So I don't know the first thing about basketball. I played basketball once in my life when I was in the States. And made a mess of it. So David knows basketball. In basketball, there's this thing called the triple threat position. That when you receive the ball, you go into the triple threat position. Now, there's a great example of the triple threat position. This is a ready position in basketball. Because, and it's called the triple threat because from this position, there are three different things you can launch into. That options that you have available to you. The first option you have available is that you can pass around, you can pass the ball. Sorry, that, okay, we'll make it that one. Sorry, I confused it. We, you can pass the ball from that position. So do that again, David. So he can pass the ball. LH, are you ready? LH is going to pass, there we go. So he could pass the ball. Thank you. Or you could uh, work your way by dribbling around your opponent. So he can move. Oh, yeah, you see, he's just flaring it up there. So, <laughs> woohoo! 
Can you do that again? Some people were looking at their phones. There we go. He could even. And then, and then that's the third thing you can do from that position is you can shoot. So there we go. So that's the triple threat position. So, no, no, come back here. Come back here. So, can I have the ball, please? Thank you, David. So, David's my opponent, very threatening opponent. He's skilled at basketball. I'm not. I don't have a first clue at what I'm doing. Now, I've got the ball, and he comes against me. Now, he's not allowed to touch me, as far as I know. It's not a, he can't push me over. But he can be really threatening and come really close to me. Now, if you're an inexperienced basketball player, what generally happens with inexperienced basketball players, they assume a position, which is called the hedgehog position. So, come and threaten me, and they go like this. Have you ever seen that? Because I'm trying to protect the ball. He's not going to take the ball from me. And he can't take the ball. The ball is secure. But guess what? From here, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I cannot be a threat to him from this position until I come into the ready position. I'm not going to even try. He's going to make me look. Thank you, David. Give David a good round of applause. That's for all the Americans in the house, just especially just for you. So we've got some guests from the U.S. as far as I know. So uh, the, 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 ba- the basketball triple threat position is that, that you're being threatened, but yet you are ready to engage, to respond, to do something. And that to me is a little bit like what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's speaking to them in the context of a very real enemy that is about to threaten them in a very real way. His threats are going to be large. He's actually going to get it right to get Jesus taken to the cross, to kill Jesus on the cross. Talk about a real threat. But he's saying to them, when the threat comes against you, don't assume the hedgehog position. Don't do this. Come into the position where you know you are loved. You can pick up your head. You can stand tall. You can be ready because you are loved. And when you know that you are loved, from that place, you can step out and you can act and you can do what the Father tells you to do. And when you do that, how many of you know the most joyful moment in a basketball match is when that ball goes swoosh? It goes through the net. Then they don't stand there going, Basketball players, they like soccer players. They get ballistic. They're jumping, they're shouting, especially if it's like a buzzer beater. You know, it's the last couple of seconds, and it's like, yeah, there's lots of joy because we scored. Standing tall in love, being ready, being prepared to move as the Father speaks so that we can score and our joy be made complete. That's what Jesus has for us. Not this. Living our lives like little hedgehogs. And how many of you know that the enemy still threatens us today? Doesn't the scripture say that he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Last week I spoke about what does he come to steal, kill, and destroy? He comes to take from us our ability to glorify the Father. And the first way that he does that is if he can get us to give up on the idea that I'm loved. Because when these threats come against me, and I know that I'm loved, I can stand against these threats. The challenge with the threats of the enemy is they include truth. He's the father of lies, but what he does really well is he takes a lot of truth and he mixes it with a bit of lie. And then he threatens you with it. 
We live in a world that's being threatened. You cannot breathe a breath on this planet at the moment and not feel the threats to our lives. I mean, global warming is real. I mean, just look at this past week, just what has happened. In the Midwest of the U.S., I mean, the, the freeze, the minus 50 degrees, the warning people that if you go outside, you will immediately have frostbite. How cold it was. And you come to our country, and if you go to the places in the free state, it's dry. Our food security is under threat. I listened to a guy speak, and he said, we must remember that everything that we eat, eats millis. It's things that has millies involved with it. So when the farmers can't produce millies, we have to import the millies. The prices go up, therefore the price of everything goes up. Do you feel the threat? And it's because we live in a planet that we've abused for so long. That we haven't had wisdom. And that's the truth. Now as a believer, I stand and I feel, and I, and I watch these things, and I, get, I feel so threatened by all of this. And I go, what is our future? And then the enemy sneaks in the lie. All of that may be true, but then he adds the little lie. And he says, there's no hope. And it's right there where as a Christian I stand up and say, ah, we have a Father that loves us. We have a Father that loves us. So I'm going to stand up and be in the ready position and say, Father, what do you want me to do? What is your commands for me in this situation? How do you want me to live my life so that I can contribute towards a healthy planet? What are some of my habits that I may have to change? If you know what, I can do that because I'm standing up and I've got hope. Economically, our world is in a desperate place. I read a statistic that was released by Oxfam and so Jan Radley sent me the article and they quoted this and then I went and watched some of the discussions they had at Davos recently with the World Economic Forum. And Oxfam says that this is our current reality is that 26, 26 or 29, I can't remember now. 20, I've got it written down here. Well, let's make it 26. Okay, let's make it 29. 29. <laughs> Sounds better. 29 people in this, on this planet have accumulatively the same wealth as what the bottom 50% of people on our planet has. That means three and a half billion people roughly, if you add all of their wealth together, has the same amount of wealth as what 29 individuals have. Now that is a threat. That is, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's problems with that level of disparity. Don't think that's the Father's heart. But I see those things and I see and I watch the corruption that's being exposed in our nation. And, and as much truth as there may be in all of that, the lie again comes and says, there's no hope. It's all going down the drain. There's no future for you. But it's then that I stand up and I say, no, 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 no. That's a lie. All of this stuff may be true. Have truth to it. But the truth is, I have a father that loves me. And from that position, I can engage. I can say, Lord, give your commands to me. How must I live in this world? How must I behave financially? How must I uh, be responsible and live and give glory to your name and honor your name through what I have? How do I use my resources to honor your name? I don't get pushed into this position. So Paul writes, to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 6. And he says, when you've done everything to stand, stand. Be clothed in the armor of God and stand. Isn't that a picture? 
of a ready position. I'm ready. There's a real enemy. There's real threats. Because he speaks that in the context of the fiery darts of the enemy. He says the enemy's going to shoot fiery darts at you. Now, it may not just be these big things. But what in your life, in your personal experience right now, are the things that threaten you? That you feel the threat by? That, that, that's happening. Perhaps your, your company is busy closing down and you think, I'm losing my job. I don't know where. And, and the enemy wants to push you into that position. Perhaps your relationship is falling apart and the enemy wants to push you. Perhaps you've got a, 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 a diagnosis and the enemy wants to push you into that position. As real as it may be that you may lose your job. As real as it may be that that relationship is collapsing, as real as that diagnosis may be, they are not more real than the fact that you have a God that loves you. A Father that says, I love you. Are you going to be pushed into the defensive position or be in a ready position? Ready to remain. And that's where a community is so helpful. That's where a community is so powerful also. Because we all go through times. When we feel like, I just want to do this. And isn't it wonderful that we can have brothers and sisters that come alongside us. Sometimes we'll kick us on our backside and say, come on man, you're better than this. Sometimes we'll just put an arm around us, cry with us. Sometimes we'll read scripture to us. Sometimes we'll just listen to us. Whatever it may be needed in that situation. But that we're not alone. That will remind us you can live life in the ready position. You don't have to be little hedgehog. And I just felt this morning, even during our time of worship, the Lord was calling forth. His people saying, stand up, stand up, be in the ready position. I want to show my glory, but my glory can be only revealed through people that remain in my love. And from that place of remaining in my love can be ready to do that which I call into every situation. Jesus carries on and I don't have time because I want to pray for you. He says these beautiful words in John 15, verse 12 to 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So the commands that we obey is all about loving our Father and loving one another. Loving those that are in the community of faith and those that are outside. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for one's own friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Because servants does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Remember last week I spoke about stepping up from one level to the next. Talk about stepping up from a level of slave to the level of friend. And the word Jesus uses here for friend is a very common word that they used in their day that described to them a very common situation. It was a common understanding in the day that the king or the emperor had friends. And this is the word Jesus uses. The word friend meant that he had people that he allowed so close to him that they, were his, that they were even allowed to come into his bedchambers in the morning before he started his day and that he could share and talk through things with them. They were not his officials, they were his friends. That he wouldn't do anything unless he first shared it with his friends and got their thoughts on it. Ultimately, he could do and make the command, but his friends were the ones that were so close to him that they were part of every decision and every command. Jesus says, you're not at the end of the command anymore. You are at the beginning of the command. Because I love you, you're my friends. I'm not going to do anything until I share it with you. That's where he wants to bring us into, that place of love. Because from that place, anything becomes possible. I want you to stand with me this morning.
I just have a sense today, as I was preparing for today, that there are people here, and the enemy has been coming up against you. He's been threatening, breathing, shooting fiery darts. He's really just been coming up against you. And you have felt yourself go into the hedgehog position. You're still standing, but you're just holding on. And perhaps you've even been tempted to not remain, to give up, to let go. To say it's easier to surrender than what it is to stand. It's easier to be knocked flat than what it is to keep hoping and keep believing. Even perhaps to say, I'm going to disengage from a community of faith because I, I can't do this. I'm struggling. And the enemy just keeps pushing, pushing, pushing. In 1 John 5, it says he cannot touch you. The enemy cannot touch you. It's like that in basketball. Dave, he couldn't really come and physically put, touch me, but he can put pressure on me. And the enemy is the same like that. He makes you believe that he can destroy you. But if you're a child of God, he can't. So I just sense this morning, there's a moment here where we want to pray for people. And I want to ask that if you feel that sense of threat at this point in time, you feel that sense of, I don't know, I'm, I'm just cowering and just, then I'm going to ask you just to take a step of faith this morning and come to the front. Just come into this area right here and our elders, our pastoral team, our prayer ministry will be here. And we want to pray for you. We just want to be there with you, stand with you and say to you, when you've done all to stand, stand. Remain in the word of the Lord. Remain in his presence. Remain in his power. And just let that there's something be breathed into you as we pray for you of this knowing that God loves you. Can I say that it may even be that you're here today and you say, but I, I, I'm not a child of Jesus. I don't know that he loves me. Tell that to the person that who's praying for you. And they're going to help you to become a child of Jesus. As these people are coming to the front, I encourage you, come. Bring your belongings and come to the front. Let us pray with you. This is a moment in the Spirit. We're going to sing a song over these people right now. And we're going to end the service with a proclamation of the goodness of our Father. As we pray for these people. But it may be that you're standing there and you're saying, Well, I'm not quite in that place where I'm, I'm, I'm going into the hedgehog position. But I want to stand in faith. I want to be dressed and clothed in the armor of God. And be ready. Can I ask you to raise your hands and just, I'm going to pray a short prayer and then we're going to, Sean's going to lead us and we're going to sing a song together as we stand in faith. There's a faith in this place because of the presence of our Father that we need to respond to, that we need to release, that we need to step into here today as a community. Father, we thank you. Just raise your hands if you want to be included in this prayer. Thank you, Father, for your people. Thank you, Jesus, that you died. But thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't leave your disciples, but you prepared them for the challenge that was to come. And ultimately, you prepared them so that they could go to the next level when the Spirit came, that they could be bold. And I pray that for each person here today in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that we will stand in you. I pray for the girding up of our loins, Lord. I pray for the strengthening of our, of our spiritual backbones, Lord. I pray for the rootedness that our roots will go deep in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. That we will press into you further, Lord. That when the winds come and the testing comes and the storms come, that we will not be tossed to and fro, but that we will stand in you, Lord. Clothed in the armor of God. Ready, Lord, to take on the enemy. And we thank you, Lord, that we are your people and you love us and we love you. 
And we thank you for your strengthening of your people right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord. Let us proclaim his name. Let us worship him and praise him this morning.